and happened to catch on the radio, they were saying this is the romantic, most romantic day of the year. And in some sense, I guess, in our society, that's how we consider it, and certainly that's the way it's seen. But I want to talk about romancing the king. Romancing the king. You see, we have a king. His name is Jesus. And our romance should be first and foremost to him. We might want to consider that a divine romance because if there ever was a romance worth pursuing, it's the pursuit of God and the pursuit of knowing him through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk about romancing the king. Let me lead us in prayer as we do. Precious Lord, I thank you for the joy of knowing you, the privilege of loving you and being loved by you. And Lord, we praise you and thank you for your beautiful presence tonight, just the way that you're uh, just uh, around about us. And Lord, we thank you that in the midst of your presence, may you make your presence known to us, Lord God. Lord, draw us by your spirit into the depths of your bosom, Lord, into the very deep core of your being. Oh, Lord, draw us unto yourself in a consciousness, a very conscious way we might be aware of you. Lord, aware of your sweetness, your beauty, your glory, your splendor, aware of your life in us. Lord God, may we know that we are truly blessed and privileged. And Father God, should there be anyone here that is realizing right now, but I don't know that. And Lord, we know that your spirit will make that truth known to them. And we trust you to do that, Holy Spirit. Thank you now for leading and guiding into all truth as only you can do. In Christ's name, amen. Well, romancing the king. Okay, I think that Song of Solomon has beautiful words about romance. I remember when Lou and I, in our early years of marriage, we, we decided that we wanted to convey romance one to another. And I found a particular translation of Song of Solomon that beautifully depicted the man and the woman's role in that passage of Scripture. And so what we did is we sat down in our uh, home there together and I read the man's part and she read the woman's part and we did that one to another. It was such a special time, such a tender and very precious time. And our Lord is speaking to us through these verses. This is the heart of the divine romance of Father God and of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he is reaching out to you through these words. And so let's just begin at the first part. We'll walk through some of it. I, I trust it will whet your appetite to go back and see it again and grasp it again. Because sometimes we read over, and, and this is a very down-to-earth book. And sometimes we read that, and we want to sort of recoil. But you see, God is very real at the point of every aspect of humanity. And he lays it out for us in the scripture here. Well, let's start with uh, verse 4 of chapter 1. And we're going to see how God draws us unto himself. Now, the importance here is this. Uh, if you have a mate here, a spouse here, special friends here, family, relatives, or some of you youth that are just uh, enjoying each other's company and fellowship, the bottom line is you'll never have a meaningful relationship with anyone until you've learned how to have a true romance relationship with the King, Lord Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Once you have that kind of romance with him, all other relationships fall into place. So that's what we're going to find out. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 4. Draw me we will run after you. The king has brought me. What we see here is the pursuit of God. We see here God reaching out to us. Jesus put it like this. You've not chosen me, but I have chosen you. 
I have chosen you. So, you see, he's drawing us, drawing us, wooing us. That's how we come into this whole thing, by being drawn unto him, by being called and chosen by him. He says, he goes on to say here in verse 4, down in the latter part, he says, we will remember your love. And you see, if we were to reflect for a moment right now on the beginning of that divine romance in our lives, oh, how sweet. I tell you, I cried tears of joy when I met my Lord and Savior. I cried tears of joy when I met my King. I was so relieved. The guilt, that burden of sin had rolled away. And oh, how I knew God's love and forgiveness. Therein begins the romance. So, remember his love, how he captured your heart. Remember his love, how he embraced you, how he said yes to you, how he said I do to you, and you said I do to him. Remember that special moment. Just think a moment. Oh, what a precious moment. Now, perhaps you can't remember such a moment. Then God is saying for you tonight might be your night. This could be the time and place for that divine romance to begin in your life. Think about this. The Christian life is not some dull, drab routine. It is a sweet and precious walk. It's a relationship. It is filled with the vibrancy of life itself, for he alone is life. And he alone can put that bounce in your step. Only he can do that. Now he says, he goes on to tell us a little more. He says, the upright love you. You see, once we enter into God's righteousness, there is a corresponding love that comes forth from our heart to his. The romance has now begun. He has sparked something in us. He has imparted something to us. He has put within us a new heart. It's a heart after God. That's God again. That's grace at work. God has stirred up our hearts now to lay hold of him. The romance is in process. Now we're on the flow. But wait a minute. Verse 5 says, but, but wait, I am black. Oh, what is he saying? He's not talking about the color of the skin. Oh, oh you, you might assess that. And, and maybe in some sense on the human plane. But no, he's talking about what we have come to define. We define white as holiness. We define red as the blood of Jesus, cleansing. But then we define black as sin. And what he's saying in reality is, I see the deceitfulness of my own heart. I see the wretchedness of my own life. I see the deplorable way in which I've lived. And yes, I recognize I am black. I am a sinner. That is to say, wait. I know he's wooing me. I know he's calling me. I know he's drawing me. But I don't feel worthy of it. I don't feel deserving of it. After all, I am a sinner. And yes, in Adam we all start that way. But the romance changes everything. The romance transforms and creates new creations. And therein the romance has basis. For now we no longer have to come to him as one who is a sinner undone, unclean, because we've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus from all unrighteousness. We have been made holy by the Spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit. This is a work of grace again. The romance has substance because life, divine life, has been imparted to us. Now we have something to look forward to and something to go forward with. The very energizing presence and power of God Almighty within us. His life within his life to carry us forward. So, he says, oh yes, but I am comely. Yes, I, I, I may appear to be wretched and, and, and sinful and unworthy, but God, you see, made us in his image. And he looks through that evil nature and he looks through that sinful life 
and he sees a person made in his image. Oh, to be sure, the image is corrupt, very much tainted, defiled. Oh, sure, it's all there. But he sees through all of that, and he sees a person made in his image, and he pursues us on that basis. He sees the potential of what he has intended for us from before the foundation of the world, a potential to become a new person, a child of God, a child of the King. The divine romance has a hope and a future. So he looks at our lives, and he, and he looks, and he sees what is there. And he sees what is there. Now grasp the enormity of God's love. Uh, Romans 5.8 Romans 5.8 talks about our life and how much he loves us while we were yet sinners. And he knows us in that sense. God commends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. In that state, that dark, wretched, deplorable state, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the depth of his love. This is the breadth of his love. Amazing grace? Yes. Amazing love? Yes. Amazing love. God's love for you and me. Not because we got our act together. Not because we put our life together. Not because we turned over a new leaf. But because from before the foundation of the world, he knew there would be a race of sinful people who would need a savior, who would need a redeemer, who would need a Lord, who would need a life. And he came to give us a life. You know the world says, get a life? Sure, but where are you going to get it? Only one place, because there's only one who is life, and his name is Jesus. I am the life, he says, and he is, and he is. Well, I'm black, but I'm comely. I'm, I'm desirable. I'm one that God wants. You see, we're accepted in the Beloved. And God has chosen us, and he's chosen to accept us in Christ. So he reaches out to us. He reaches out to us. On into chapter 2, verse 3. I love the way he puts it here, this latter part of verse 3. I sat down under his shadow with great delight. With great delight. And his fruit was sweet to my taste. You know, sometimes we think, I don't want to be in somebody else's shadow. I want to rise, and I want to shine, and I want to be the, uh, get top billing, you know, and I want to get full recognition, and I don't want to take a back seat to anybody. But he says here, I sat down under his shadow with great delight. Are you sitting basking in his presence with great delight? Or do you sometimes murmur and grumble and complain because you don't get to call the shots anymore? Perhaps you are like those disciples who put him in the back of the ship and said, Lord, we'll call you when we need you. Maybe that's been the nature of your relationship or lack of it. That when the going gets rough, you call him, Lord, to bail you out like those disciples did rather than calling upon him morning, noon, and night of every day of your life. The Lord, you see, wants a divine romance. He wants a relationship. He doesn't want to just be called in as a hired hand. He doesn't want to be called in to just solve a few problems now and then. Now, he'll be glad to do it because he loves us and he'll reach out at every point we give him opportunity. But he wants a relationship. He wants divine romance. That's what he's about. And that's what he's doing in you to move you more and more 
into that kind of relationship with him. Divine romance. I sat down under his shadow with great delight. Think of this. These people lived in a time and a place where trees were not as common as they are in Georgia. It was a more of a, of a desert type place. Oases were really a, a wonderful spot to be where there was more shade and, and there was the, the water usually that was there and the pool of water and those kind of things. And so to be in a place where trees were in abundance was just not all too common for them. So to sit down under his shadow, under that place of his covering and protection was a beautiful place indeed to be. And it really produced a vivid memory for them. That's why they describe it as an apple tree here, a very luscious tree, a tree that not only provided shade, but provided nourishment and sustenance. And so he's saying, look, I sat down in his presence and I was delighted to do so. I found it an honor to be privileged to be seated in the presence of the king. Think about it. He has prepared a table before us in the presence of our enemies. We are privileged to seat in his presence. He allows us to sit there with him in his presence. This is what he's done for us. And so he says, he brought me to the banqueting house, or some would say to the banqueting table, the place where we feast. He brought me to this place, and his banner over me was love. And is love, is love continues to be love, forever shall be love. His banner over me is love. You know, Philippians 4.19 talks about how God is purposed to supply all of our needs through his riches and glory by one, Christ Jesus. Now that's provision. That's God's bountiful supply for your needs. And it's right there in his presence as you find yourself basking in his presence right there under the shadow with great delight. His fruit typifies his abundant provision for your every need. And then it says, it was sweet to my taste. Well, the Lord wants you to see how sweet that relationship is and how valuable it is, how meaningful it can possibly be. Um, the, uh, the, the story is of the, the prodigal son that Jesus told and how much the father loves and you know the story well. But here's the picture. Here was a son who had gone to the farthest direction away from the father and had wasted his life on riotous living. But now the father is waiting for him to return and eagerly runs to him. And the picture now is of one who puts a banner over him of love and just says, love covers the multitude of your sins. Love covers... The, all of your past fault and failure. My love covers it all, and furthermore, I clothe you with my presence. And I put that ring of authority on your finger, and I put the royal clothes on you, clothing you with those robes of righteousness, and I bring you into my place, my presence, and I seat you at the banquet table, and we kill the fatted calf. This is the picture of the abundant provision of what we call the abundant life. The abundant life. And why would we not want to romance such a king? Why would we not want to enjoy the intimacy of such a king? I'm delighted that my wife gets to travel with me more because I love her very much. We've had 28 beautiful years together. And every year it truly does get sweeter than the year before. And it's just so much fun to be with her. Why, 
you know, and so now we get to be more and more together. And actually the Lord has arranged it in the last few years that my office is in the home. So we both work together and we play together. We work together and we pray together. We just do as much as possible together because that's what divine romance is all about. It makes you want to enjoy each other's company and enjoy uh, sharing with one another. And that's divine romance. And it carries over, you see, into relationships with friends and family and with your spouse, others whom you love. His banner over me is love, is love. Verse 10 says, My beloved spoke and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. And suddenly we see just how much our Lord delights in us. He singles us out. He chooses us. He says, I want to enjoy special time with you. I want to enjoy fellowship with you. Now some immediately, their thoughts turn to what we have come to call in 20th century America, quiet time or time alone with God. Well, those are beautiful times. But it's like one man that I led to the Lord said, hey, wait a minute, quiet time? What is this? What are they talking about? He said, why, I've already come to know the Lord in such a way, I have a quiet life. Why settle for a quiet time when you can have a quiet life? A life of peace and tranquility, a life of joyful, abundant, just rich, full life. That's what he wants for us every moment of every day. And so why... Why settle for romance once a year when you can romance the king all day, every day, and as a result, spills over into the enjoyment of romance with your spouse, your family, your friends. Everybody is a person now that is a target for love and a recipient of the abundant love of God, which never runs out, never runs out, never runs out. So he, he beckons us because he delights in us. Uh, verse 14, he says, Let me see your countenance. Let me hear your voice. For sweet is your voice. Sweet is your voice. And your countenance, oh, it's lovely. It's beautiful. It's radiant. You see, when we finally come to the grips that Jesus is really a person, he's not just some historical figure from history past. He's not just some... Uh, a person out there in the cloud somewhere. No, he's a real person and he resides in you and, and you can carry on sweet communion with him all day long. All day long. One guy says, hey, time alone with God? Why, as soon as I leave this room and I'm by myself, I'll be alone with him. And until then, I've got time with him while I'm in the room with you. See, our time with him is what's the focal point here. And once you're consumed with his presence, and you become conscious of his life in your life, then you can be in the midst of a group of people and you still have that sweetness of fellowship with him. You see, you can be anywhere doing anything. That's why Paul could enjoy him in the prison because he had found the source of joy and he knew it was a person, Jesus Christ. Romancing the king. That's what we're talking about, romancing the king. Verse 16 says, My beloved is mine. And I am his. Now, there's true ownership. He has me, but I have him. Not that I dominate him, but that I do contain him. He indwells me. He resides in me. And I am the recipient. Ownership. He has me, but I have him. Not that I 
dominate him, but that I do contain him. He indwells me. He resides in me. And I am the recipient of his love and kindness, of his goodness and mercy. Oh, to romance the king. Oh, to enjoy divine romance. And then to see it spill over into relationships with others. You see, once your heart is full of the love of God, all you've got is the love of God to spill over onto other people. And all the other junk, you know, grumbling, gripey, grumpy stuff just isn't there to dump off anymore because it's all been flushed down the system and out and away, and God has replaced it with his own loving presence, full and overflowing with his love. My beloved is mine, but I am his. I am his. 3.1 says, By night on my bed I sought him whom my soul loved, but I did not find him. So he goes on to say in verse 2, I will seek him whom my soul loved, but I found him not. You know, there's a song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. And guess what, folks? Most of us are doing that. We're looking for love in the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life. And it's not going to happen. They'll all let you down. People will let you down. Things will let you down. Uh, companies will let you down. I mean, there's not one thing that cannot let you down. Because there's only one who is eternal. And that is Jesus Christ, the King. Romancing the King. That's the only thing that will keep us going in the hard times or in the good times. Because he's the only one that lasts. He's the only one that lasts. And so verse 4 says, Ah, I found him. I found him who my soul loves. Suddenly there's a connecting again. You see, we can all lose sight of our first love. Oftentimes do. But along the way as we do, we begin to realize something's not right here. Something's missing. Don't know quite what it is or where it happened. But here a little and there a little, until pretty soon it's just not there anymore. I sit down with a, a couple, a very precious couple, a very fine Christian couple, and they began to talk about how things just weren't right anymore in their marriage. And I asked them, well, tell me about the early days. What was it like? And oh, a smile came on the lady's face. And immediately they began to recount how beautiful those early days were. Why was that? Because there was romance there. There was relationship there. There was that intimate heart sharing one with another. There was the giving and taking. There was the, there was the laying down of your life one for another. There was a real concern and consideration given to each other. But over time... He got busy here and she got busy there and, and they sort of parted the ways and began to go in different directions. And they didn't realize it at first because at first they didn't really see any problems and then suddenly and very gradually until all of a sudden one day they woke up and they realized we live in the same home, we still have a love for each other, but we have no relationship one with another. Lost your first love. And that's what happens to us in the Lord Jesus. And it happens in human relationships. A gradual, subtle thing. We begin to take one another for granted. And we tend to do that with our Lord too. We just sort of assume, well, that's what he's here for. That's his job. And after all, it's to only be expected. Until, until we're no longer enamored and awed by one who is the Lord of glory, one who created all things, one who is the Almighty, who would take time, yes, not only take time, but invest his life in us. And we take him for granted. We just sort of ignore him. 
You know, the fool is the one that says there is no God, but oftentimes we act like the fool because we ignore or deny his presence. Problems come and we cry out and run to everybody and everything but him for the solution. We're acting the part of the fool. We're ignoring the very one and only one who can do anything about it. I had a friend whose, whose uh, son was, was, uh, son-in-law was dying and they had all been praying the church had and, and they were told if you, if you hear, uh, see a certain thing happen, that'll be the sign. Rush him to the hospital. He only has a matter of days to live and we'll try to keep him comfortable and minimize the pain. And the particular thing happened and they rushed him to the hospital in a great panic and very much concerned and they got him there and my, my friend was sitting out there in the waiting room and he was talking to the Lord and saying, well, Lord, what's going on? And the Lord said, well, it's quite simple. I've answered your prayer. You forgot to check with headquarters. You forgot to see what I was saying. You forgot to ask what I was doing here. He says, now you go and suggest to the doctor that he do another test and see what's going on. And then they went in, they, the doctor did the other test, and you know what? This incurable problem that this man had was cured. No trace of anything. But if we're not careful, we'll lose sight of who headquarters is and where headquarters is. And we won't check in with headquarters. And we won't talk to the one that makes the decisions. We'll try to make them ourselves. We'll try to make a way where there is no way, and it won't work. Only he can do that. Only he can do that. Only he. He's the only one. Now, he wants to show you tonight how to romance him. He is wooing you back. He's calling you back. He's drawing you back to himself. In fact, verse 10 says, He has paved the way with love. His love has paved the way. He has parted the waters, and he has made a dry land. And all you've got to do is step out and walk across. And you'll see him there like the picture of the prodigal son with that father arm stretched out saying, Welcome home, my son. Welcome home, my daughter. I'm still here for you. I still love you. Yes, you've sinned, but I forgive you. I do forgive you. But you've got to take that step. You've got to humble yourself and admit again your need and say, Father, I've, I've left, my, left my first love. Lord, I've, I, I've, I've neglected you. I've, I've ignored you. But I'm coming home. I'm coming back to the place where I belong. I'm coming back to that place you prepared for me. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. You know, four, uh, verse 7 says, you'll find out this. You are all fair, my love. There is no spot in you. When you come back to a freshness of his life, you will realize that he alone is that perfect and spotless one. There's a saying that's going around nowadays that God is good. He is. Then they go on to say, all the time. And that's because, you see, in our mindset, God is good if he does things we like, if they feel good to us, if they look good to us. But the reality is, God is good, and there is none good but God, says Jesus Christ, and he ought to know. He ought to know. God is good all the time. His goodness and mercy endures forever and ever and ever and ever. And so if you'll reach out, you'll find mercy abundantly available to you and you'll find his goodness likewise equally available. Yes, you are fair, my love, and there's no spot in you. And you know what? You will find out that even his rod and his staff are a comfort to you. You know, the rod is a rod of reproof or correction. And when I was a kid and I got the rod, it wasn't always a comfort. 
And I don't think my kids think so either, or thought so. They're a little bit old for that now. But his rod and his staff are a comfort. Yes, even that. Because God is good all the time. Even his correction and even his instruction. God is good all the time. And what that will do for you is it will cause you, like verse 9 says, he says there, you have ravished my heart. Suddenly, there will be a fire lit within you, a flame bursting up. We talk about love as like a fire or a flame. Well, the flame of God's love will well up in you for him and him for you, and you'll suddenly see that you are a dearly beloved child of God. And you'll, you'll hear him say that you are very precious in his sight. And you'll hear him say, I love you. You are my beloved. You're my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. You've chosen the one thing needful. You've chosen Jesus Christ. And that makes you an object of the Father's love. And that allows you to be a, a recipient of the Father's love. Of the Father's love. He's ravished our heart. He's ravished our heart. In chapter 5, verse 16, here's how I want us to close out tonight. It says, He is altogether lovely. Altogether lovely. What about that? Altogether lovely. And then he goes on, This is my beloved and this is my friend. And this is my friend. You see, I, I love my wife, but she's also my best friend. My best friend. She wrote me a, uh, a little note and, and picked me out a Valentine card for me, and in the card it talked about how I was her friend. And you see, that word friend can be either weak or strong, depending on what you mean by it. But to be a best friend. And Jesus says he's a friend of sinners. And furthermore... He says to us who've become his followers, his children, he says, and you are my special friends, and I tell you my secrets. I tell you the special things that I want you to know because you are my friends. You are my friends. This is your beloved, but he's your friend. Do you know him as a friend? Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. We sing it. Do you experience the friendship relationship of Jesus? You enjoy romancing the king in such a way that you have the intimacy of relationship with him that is true friendship, that's truly sharing of your heart and life with him. It's there for you. That's what he's here for. That's what he's come to do. He's come to live in you, to pour out upon you a sweet relationship, tender, gentle, kind, compassionate, to take all the junk off you, to just hear your heart cries, and to, in a very sensitive and tender way, to minister love and compassion. He's the beloved, and he's your friend. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, how I praise you that you are a friend. You're a friend of sinners, and you're my friend. I thank you, Lord, that you allow us to come to a banqueting table and we get there to find out that we're not just some outcast that found a, a little corner of a seat somewhere, but no, the table was set for us. The banquet was in our honor. 
And Lord, you've gathered us together because you've chosen us. You laid your life down for us. No greater love has any man than this, that he laid down his life. And you laid down your life, and then you called us friends. We who were your enemies, and yet you came to us. We who were helpless, and yet you came to us. Lord, we who were hopeless, and yet you came to us. And you didn't just come to us to patch us up. You came to us to make us whole. You came to set us free and make us new and make us alive. And you came to us that you might indwell us and enter into a relationship, a companionship, a walk with us. And Lord, we truly are blessed and privileged. And oh God, wherein we have left our first love this night, we repent. Lord, this night we turn from all the things of this world that have grown strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. Lord, this night we turn from looking to other people, yes, even our, our sweet mate, to meet our needs, when only you can do that. And Lord, we turn to you, and we purpose that you would be the one we romance, first and foremost. Lord, we purpose to have that divine romance with you. Lord God, cause us each day to walk in a consciousness of your presence. Lord, to live in a consciousness of your life. And Lord, each day to be fully and vividly aware, not only of how much you love us, but Lord how much we love you. And to know, Lord God, that we love you. Yes, we do love you, but it's because you first loved us. And we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of knowing you and enjoying you and of basking in your presence. So, oh God, stir up our hearts afresh this night to lay hold of you 